You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome to The Healthy Sensitive. I am Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, an introvert, an HSP, a blogger, a podcaster, a writer, a mess. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Speaking of mess, so what I wanted to talk about today uh, was labels. I've gotten into a lot of, well, several conversations about, you know, when people ask, for example, oh, well, what is an HSP? Because, you know, you can imagine I introduce myself, hi, I'm Leah, and, you know, eventually it gets to, oh, that's very interesting, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a, I'm a wellness coach, I'm a writer, and I write and speak on the subject of highly sensitive people and introversion. And naturally people say, oh, what does it mean to be an HSP or highly sensitive person? And I start talking about what it means. And again, if you've heard my podcast before, it's, it's, basically these four things. So there's depth of processing. We think about stuff really deeply. Uh, There's a sense of overwhelm or easily overwhelmed or overstimulated rather, not overwhelmed necessarily. Um, Emotional depth and quite often that's correlated with emotional granularity. And then finally sensory sensitivity. So picking up on to subtle changes in one's environment. So I became interested in this trait because that's what I'm going to call it, a trait, primarily because in doing so, it gave me a language to describe some of the really sort of foundational experiences I was having in my everyday life. And, you know, it was foundational for me, but it wasn't foundational for most other people. And so for a really long time, I just felt like I was strange and not in a good way. (laughs) Not like, oh my goodness, I have a superpower. It really felt like, okay, I'm alone. And this feels, in a lot of respects, kind of terrible. And then as soon as I started to sort of dive into, I think I started in my, uh, what would you call it, a journey, my exploration. You know, I, I started getting interested in what it was to be me, kind of by accident. So I remember walking into a sophomore, it was in sophomore year of high school, and I walked into a philosophy class. It was an elective that I could take. And my teacher's name was Mr. Jameson. And I can remember him putting up on the board, who are you? And you can imagine, you know, you've got a bunch of teenagers in the classroom, and he waits for them to settle, and he starts introductions. And ultimately, what he asks each of us to do is introduce ourselves and to the best of our ability, describe who we are. And each person who describes their identity ends up caught in a purposeful web that Mr. Jameson masterfully spun. So, hi, my name is Jeff. I'm a athlete. And, and of course, Mr. Jameson would stop him and he'd say, so you're an athlete. So you mean that you, you are like, that's your entire being or what kind of sports do you play? He says, oh, football and swimming. And also, and also, and also. Oh, okay, so I'm just curious. If you were to break your leg tomorrow, would you no longer exist? And of course, Jeff says, no, of course I'd exist. He's like, okay, so 
being an athlete can't be the entirety of who you are. Next. And he just picked apart anyone's identity. So it didn't take us very long, or rather didn't take him very long to point out sort of just how Swiss cheese-like our concept of a self really was and how challenging it really can be to just to answer that question, who are you? And that was my first real exposure. I mean, I could look in journals, and I've done this. Maybe this is partially narcissism, who knows? I've kept journals since I was about eight years old, and I've... I've seen the handwriting of a nine-year-old me ask questions that are sort of precocious questions to ask. And I'm a little proud of that because that means that I was curious at a really young age and powerfully curious about interesting questions. Uh, But no one had organized it in such a way that I was able to really kind of focus my attention on this question. All I had known up to this point was that I was kind of strange and... I was not so strange that I was picked on in school or not so strange that anyone would have remarked on it, but I just felt strange internally. My experience felt foreign to the way that other people described theirs. And so this class, philosophy, allowed me to get a glimpse of how thinkers think, how curious people go about trying to satiate their curiosity. And that was delightful for me. And of course, right after philosophy, the same instructor taught psychology. It was just a different elective, and I happened to sign up for that as well. So here I am, <laughs> first getting exposed to philosophy. And, you know, what is it? Stoicism versus existentialism versus Epicureanism, you know, etc. And then somehow from there, I think it was within my circle of friends. And in fact, I know who it was. I just don't remember exactly the sequence of events. But... I am introduced to a gentleman who is my age in high school, but similarly strange in that he was a very deep thinker, um, esoteric-based. He, however, also was a musician. He was interested in astrology. He was interested, like, he was, he just had one of those brilliant minds that could absorb anything. And I remember him doing a chart on me, an astrology chart, and I was, you know, skeptical, and that's being generous. But I do recall... You know, so he said, oh, well, you're a Gemini and your moon is in Scorpio and your rising sign is a Leo and your Venus is in uh, Cancer and your Mars is in Capricorn. And he was able to sort of describe what all of this meant for me in in a way that really rang true for me. It's like, whoa, that's pretty incredible. Later, someone said to me, oh, well, maybe it's just the case that he, this man that I, this young man that I met was just very perceptive and intuitive, and he just used the language of astrology to describe things that he himself was actually intuiting, which absolutely could be true. I'm not dismissing that at all. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that was my first example of falling in love with a label or with identities or with a language that describes identity. So from astrology, of course, eventually I I discover, you know, that I, I... talked about my, I fell into um, like Myers-Briggs and then the Enneagram. And if you're curious, I'm an, I'm an INFJ. Um, I think, I don't remember what the Enneagram was. It was either a one with a two wing or a two with a one wing. And depending on what day of the week or week of the month. <laughs> um, and then somewhere along the lines, I discovered, you know, I got more clear about some of the particulars of say INFJ or one and two wing or whatever. It's like, oh, well, 
I became more curious about what it is to be an introvert. And then I sort of dove deeply into that. And then from there, of course, I discovered what it is to be a highly sensitive person. And that, I think, was just language that best described my experience in a way that didn't force me to have to, like, squeeze into a box. But I do find it interesting that highly sensitive people can also find themselves in a box. And they can sort of find themselves saying things like, oh, well, I am an HSP, as if that encapsulates the entirety of their identity. I'm an HSP, therefore. And to some extent, that can be very useful. I, I know, as I've said multiple times, what I found the most useful about my discovery of having this as a trait, something that could sort of organize all of my experiences and be described in this way, I fell in love with it because it allowed me a language to use so that I could talk to other people about it and say, oh, well, this is a trait and you can see some of the evidence of what this trait does like in a brain scan and how folks who have this trait might show up differently on a brain scan, how what their brain does a little differently. You know, whatever the reason for it, whether it's genetic, whether it's social or, or whatever, biological or sociological, there is a distinct difference. And it's not good and it's not bad. It's neutral. It's advantageous. So long as there's about 20% of us who operate this way. And it also is advantageous for the other 80% to operate the other way. It's just how nature seems to have worked itself out for now. And I've gotten into a few conversations, though, where people have said that when I mentioned what it is to be an HSP, they get a little nervous or they get kind of uncomfortable. Like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about defining someone based on this. To which I can only reply, you're absolutely right. That's dumb. (laughs) Because it is. To say that one is an HSP as if that's their whole identity, that's... I want to step way back from that. You know, my work that I do in the realm of, you know, highly sensitive or high sensory, sensory processing sensitivity, excuse me, is intended, like what I'm really, I'm not trying to make highly sensitive people be another group of folks that have grievances that, you know, I, I don't want it to be another social policy measure. I don't want it to seem like, oh, we've been unjustly treated or not really any of that. I want to neutralize it. I want to sort of say, hey guys, is, you know, some people have brown eyes, some people have blue eyes, some people have green eyes, some people have, some people are introverts, some people are extroverts, some people are highly sensitive, and some people are, well, not. (laughs) Like, they're normies. (laughs) I don't know what else to call folks that just aren't HSP, non-HSP, normal people. Um, But it seemed like a worthwhile conversation to stir up. When I went to the conference, and I know I've mentioned this conference several, several times, you must be sick of hearing about it, but one of the gentlemen that spoke at the conference just really grabbed my attention, and this was Tad Cashton. So I've spoken about his book, Curious, as well as his book that I'm currently reading, uh, The Upside of Your Dark Side. And he said in his presentation that we have two opposing, well, we have a lot of needs, but two big ones that are seemingly in opposition. On the one hand, we have this need to feel unique, to feel distinct, to feel seen as an individual. And on the other hand, we have a kind of need to belong. I mean, these are two primal human desires. You know, I, I want to feel like I belong, but I also want to feel distinct. And the two 
kind of war against each other. And what he made a case for, or of, or whatever, however you want to describe it, he in essence said, when you look at the political arena that we're now, or the political landscape that we're in right now, you'll notice that there's a lot of identity politics. If you haven't noticed that, you are blind. And also, whatever it is you're smoking, can I please have some? Because I would love to be blind to it. Uh, that would probably take a lot of stress that way. But with regard to identity politics, he was saying, you know, what you're seeing is people start fracturing off more and more and more. So it's not just that I am, you know, insert whatever racial background here. It's like, well, now I'm a racial background who's also this other racial background, which makes, which, you know, multiple threads of intersectionality abound. And so then people continue to keep fracturing off and fracturing off and fracturing off. And the more that people do that, you end up with this weird situation where on the one hand, they feel individually great because they get that sense of I am unique alongside the sense of I belong. So you can imagine if you have three points of intersection. So let's say, um, let's say that you're uh, a black woman, uh, I don't know, a black woman and specifically African descent. And that's your father's side. And your mother's side was Latina, specifically from Mexico. And now, and then say you're also part of the LGBTQ community. You have now four points of intersection. That's what intersectionality is all about. So it's, you know, I'm, there's that you are female. There is that you are biracial. So that's two different points of intersectionality. And you also have, you are not heterosexual. You are part of the LGBTQ community. And let's say that you find other people who are now in that subgroup, multiple races that are, you know, and what I mean by intersectionality, multiple deviations away from the, the quote unquote norm and the norm being white man. Um, interesting that you don't have to differentiate between, you know, European or whatever. White people just aren't that interesting. Um, anyway, where I'm getting at here is the upside to fracturing off in this way is as individuals, we feel like these two needs, the need for individuality and the need for belonging, both get met. We are both recognized as being unique and our experience is validated as being unique, hence intersectionality. Like when we talk about intersectionality, what we're really validating is someone's experience of multiple identities coming and clashing together. And those are real experiences. So, I mean, I think the more classic examples are, you know, um, with say black women who were hired into positions where because they were black, they couldn't be secretaries in the front desk, but because they were women, they couldn't get the high paying positions like in the laborers, like as a laborer or, you know, I'm, I'm giving these really weak, weak examples, but that reality of someone who has that intersection of two different identities that are both forcing them out of potential opportunities, forcing them away from, pulling them away from opportunities. That's real. And so when they stumble across other people who have similar experiences, there's this tremendous relief of, oh, I'm not alone. And it's beautiful. The only downside is that is the more bunkered in we get to these identities, apparently the less and less likely we are going to be willing to speak to people outside of those circles. So this is where, you know, folks like Sam Harris or 
Jordan Peterson to talk about sort of that tribalism. Even uh, Joe Rogan talks about this quite a bit. We can be we we can sort of become tribes and almost warring tribes. And I the jury's out as far as I'm concerned with regard to how I feel about all of this. I will say though that on the one hand I do think there is tremendous value in being able to say I am X or Y or XY or what XYZ like I I don't know why I said X and Y that makes it sound like I'm talking about men and women. I am A, I am B, I'm ABC. <laughs> um because it gives one an opportunity to speak and be heard and be clear about where they're speaking from. Having said all of that, though, the more you get into, mm, say, meditation, uh, spirituality, a lot of that starts to dissolve away. And I don't mean that in the sense that, oh, well, if you're having problems with social justice, just meditate and that'll make it all better. Well, that's bullshit. But what I do think is interesting is no matter where people come from or whatever their initial identities were, once they start really kind of exploring, okay, what is, who am I really? And then they might dig a little bit and say, well, I'm, I'm an introvert or I'm an HSP or I'm, you know, in, in my case, my, my case right now, I'm white. I come from a, I would say lower middle class, middle class background. I'm privileged, and these are my privileges. They include uh, having been born and raised in the United States of America, specifically California, specifically the Bay Area. We want to talk about a privileged location to have been raised in. And I, I did not have to grow up in a war zone, and I did not have to go into any kind of jungle to go find my food. I take this weird plastic thing, and I walk into a grocery store, and just purchase stuff like I just give a plastic card to some guy and they just trust that at some point I'm going to pay that like they trust that the company that represents the card I'm giving him is going to pay him and my credit card company trusts that I'm going to pay them and it's this weird sort of matrix style approach for you know bar trade and bartering and all of that we've just figured all this out that's kind of neat um but I'm, when I'm really quiet and I'm settled and there's no one talking to me and there's just me watching my thoughts, a lot of that disappears. There, if, when I go digging to find Leah, I don't find her. There isn't a her. There isn't a him. There is, there's not even really an it. There's just... Some people might call it the witness. Some people might call it consciousness. Um, Buddha mind. I'm sure there's a, a Christian version of it. Uh, you know, most religious texts, uh, groups have a language for what they would call like that, that peaceful state of just, ah, okay, it is all quiet. And I think it's worth challenging whatever identities we describe or sort of plaster onto ourselves even traits you know like there's it's worth really digging around in there and i 
I know I'm straying away from what, like, specifically how this relates to highly sensitive people. And I kind of went on a really long tangent there. But I did all of that because when I recently went to a highly sensitive person circle, and I listened to all these perspectives, there were a lot of things that everyone in the room had in common. Many people described the challenge of, you know, meeting new people. I talked about this in the last podcast too. It's like, I'm, I'm going in, I'm going to meet someone new. And all I want to do is just kind of say, Hey, you want to just step aside, get a cup of coffee and see if a friendship comes out of this. People find that really strange. Most of the time they want the social ritual of, hi, how are you? How's the weather? What do you do for a living? Et cetera, et cetera. And then if that goes on long enough, maybe we can get into subjects that are a little deeper. And so a lot of highly sensitive people and introverts, many, they're correlated, but they are distinct, will say things like, God, I just want to kind of get to the meat of the conversation. I, I despise chit chat. Like, I don't like small talk. So that was something they, a lot, they all seem to have in common. Um, a desire for authenticity was certainly there. Um, a desire for a lower level of stimulus. But as you go around the room, you would notice is there one of the uh, members of the group would say, well, I love to travel and I love novelty and I love new things. And so in my brain, then I would say, oh, well, you know, did you know that you could be a highly sensitive person and a high sensation seeker at the same time? So you could have these two traits that are warring against each other. So you have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake at all times. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And then another person had, you know, it manifested in a completely different way. One person was extremely sensitive to stimulus, but didn't really feel like they had this wide emotional landscape, but felt like they definitely resonated with depth of processing, um, easily over aroused and sensory sensitivity. And in fact, he said, I'm, I'm curious if I might be on the spectrum and maybe I'm not a highly sensitive person. I'm just, I have a light case of autism or something. And it just kind of struck me. It's just like, well, is anyone here willing to just kind of say, I am, (laughs) I just, I exist. I am unique. You know, I think we're all, walking around and we're this very unique we're, each one of us is a little beaker of alchemical experimentation we're all affected by our experiences by the people that we interact with and of course we're affected by the way we're wired i used to think that as a highly sensitive person that that meant a few things about me you know it meant i i could only handle certain types of relationships it meant i could only work during certain times of the day and to some extent that I, I honor that, you know, I, I suffered with sleep disorders for so long that I'm very uh, protective of my evenings. And that's probably a good thing. But I, you know, I also thought that it meant you know, when I would have described myself, I'm a sweetheart and I love to love and I'm really good at making space for other people and adapting in my environment. But I recently went through a really challenging time and I wasn't nice at all. And I don't think anyone who would have observed me would have would have thought or would have described me as being highly sensitive. If anything, they might have sensed that I was insensitive. I was cold. You know, I was going through a challenging breakup and I was being pretty forceful about what I wanted and what I needed. And I was forceful with multiple stakeholders in my life. So that 
forced me to really think deeply about, well, wait a second, am I really a highly sensitive person? Or is that just a label that's going to fall apart? And, you know, so I, this actually brings me to something I thought was really fascinating about the Dalai Lama. So he, of course, his whole life is, I don't know if it's based on him being the Dalai Lama. I mean, to some extent, yes. But he was asked at one point, what if we could prove definitively that there was no such thing as reincarnation? And he, without missing a beat, said, oh, well, we would have to, like, the Buddhist faith would have to adjust. We would just have to change that philosophy. And that makes me kind of pause. And it's like, what if somebody proves at some point that being a highly sensitive person, like the the trait that we're watching on a brain scan, what if we get a slightly more sophisticated method to track it, track our brains, and someone's able to say, yeah, that's actually bullshit. And here, I can prove it to you. And whatever that may be. What would that mean for highly sensitive people or introverts? Like, what if somebody could prove that there really was no such thing as an introvert or an extrovert, and it's just all habits, or it's just the way we've framed stories for ourselves, or, you know, I mean, what a trip, right? Because at any point, things that we think are solid could just change. So if this feels to you, by the way, like a stream of consciousness, wild and crazy podcast episode, I think it kind of is, Ultimately, the thread I'm trying to string with all of this, pulling all of this together, what I'm really trying to say here is the one thing that seems to be useful always is curiosity. Be open and be curious. Be willing to challenge your assumptions about what you think identity means. Just like my instructor, Mr. Jameson, was willing to do. Because at 16, like I look at my 16-year-old Self. I look at the experience that I had at 16 and I chuckle. I think, oh, how cute, you know, all these kids in a classroom and they were thinking that by describing themselves as being an athlete or as being, I don't know, uh, some people describe themselves by virtue of their gender or of their race. And, and he was able with every single turn to sort of say like, nah, uh, 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 that can't be all of it. And here I am in my 30s. And I'm doing something kind of similar when I say, oh, I'm an HSP and I'm an introvert. And it's like, huh, well, that's interesting. So I think what I'm really encouraging people to do is, you know, whatever identity that you have and really and truly, because this podcast is for highly sensitive people in particular and introverts, what I'm encouraging you to do is hold your identity such as it is very lightly. My talking about what it means to be a highly sensitive person, like my intention here is to give a space for people who have similar experiences to me. Like when I talk about what it feels like to walk into a space where there's loud sounds and there's chaos and there's people chit-chatting and there's networking events or whatever. And it's like, oh, I could do it. But my God, that's exhausting. I just want to provide a space so that if someone hears my voice out there and has had a similar experience, they can go, oh, thank God, I'm not the only one who's had that experience. And just using words like highly sensitive person is just sort of a, a catchphrase. It's a, it's a hashtag, if you will. It's my way of sort of saying, hey, when I use this buzzword, this, these are the, the kinds of experiences that I'm referring to. But at any time, if we realize, if, we, if someone discovers that it doesn't actually exist or introversion isn't a thing or, you know, it, hold it lightly. Don't allow this thing to dominate over who you are. Because I have started speaking with people who seem to be allowing that to take place. You know, they'll say things like, oh, I can't do blank because I'm a highly sensitive person. 
or I, I won't do this because I'm a highly sensitive person. And you can tell there's a hunger to do it, but they're too scared. You know, you'll hear what I've heard, for example, is, God, I really wish I could do those things. I'm just, I, I, I just know I couldn't. And I invite you to challenge that assumption. That's part of why I keep saying in my podcast, it's, this is a podcast for highly sensitive people and introverts who want to live their best lives and who want to be as close to, you know, they want to be their authentic selves. They want to live an, a life of integrity, a life that's in alignment with their values. And they want to do that without sacrificing their sanity, their health, their, their sense of balance and well-being. That's what this is about. And if you ever find that the box, highly sensitive person, stops serving you, let it go. Just just let it go. <laughs> like, you know, identities are intended to be kind of like clothing that we wear. If it stops being useful, don't wear it. You know, the, the you, to whatever extent there is a you, doesn't, like that core self, that's part of you, like yoga talks about, and you know, that part of you that is unaffected by your experiences. And Buddhism talks about, you know, like the Buddha self, like, you know, every religious or spiritual tradition seems to have a language for this part of ourselves that seems unaffected by the external and is only aware, like, I guess you can call it awareness. And the things that we identify with are kind of like, oh, well, let me put this on and let me also put that on. And it helps, it gives us a, a means of decorating ourselves and of communicating ourselves with other people. And that's lovely. But, you know, I don't wear my winter coat in summertime. <laughs> and I, I sure as hell don't wear my, you know, shorts in the middle of dead winter. So I don't do either of those things. I select very deliberately. And I encourage you to be deliberate about what the, the language you use to describe your experiences as well. And to the degree that having the label highly sensitive is helpful and props you up and gives you tools, wonderful. And, you know, I, you'll notice that I've, you know, on my website, there's a community option so that people who are in that community can kind of connect. Uh, I'm putting courses together for highly sensitive people. So all of that's there. But if at any point you're sort of like, yeah, you know, this is no longer helpful to consider myself an HSP. Like that was useful because, you know, I no longer really think about astrology. I don't ponder the depths of what it means that I have a Scorpio moon and <laughs> I have a sun in Gemini. And, you know, I mean, recently that was debunked to some degree where they're like, nope, sorry, turns out <laughs> we've been thinking it was all wrong anyway. And your sun sign is something totally different. So I let it go. I think that pretty much sums it up. So I, I'm hoping this startled you enough that it got you have, like thinking about questions. Like I, I want you to, this is what I ultimately want in whatever podcast that I put out. I want you to, to walk away thinking, huh, well, that's interesting. And if there's a question that I'm putting out to any of you, it's, you know, how, if you were asked the question, who are you? How would you answer it? And to what degree would saying something like, oh, I'm highly sensitive, be useful in communicating to another person? Uh, what other identities do you associate with? Do you identify with your hobbies? Do you identify with your relationships? Do you identify with none of those things? Are you pure potential? How would you describe your experience? So um, just a little bit of logistics. Please do keep an eye 
speaking of, you know, HSPs and courses and all of that, um, on my website, I'm really trying to piece together how to, you know, I've got one course that's out, the next course that's coming out, and it'll be out in the next couple of days, keep an eye out, um, how to build community as a highly sensitive person. So it's part two of the Becoming a Highly Sensitive Superhero series. And what I'm trying to do is have the primary course, which just has some content, and then a subgroup, subcourse that's every day I'm just going to kind of contribute a little bit to it so it's supplemental. And then I'll just kind of update it every other day or so on the community site. And right now it's looking a little messy because I was thinking I would do all of that on the community site. And so I'm trying to organize it. So if you are part of the community and you're feeling a little lost, uh, please hang in there with me. Uh, changes are coming and it will look much cleaner in the next few days. So like all of my thanks, all of my gratitude for all of your patience. Um, if there's anything you want to chat about, even if you just want to write to me and be like, whoa, what the hell was this podcast episode about? This was bizarre. Love to hear from you. Uh, if you just want to have a conversation, fabulous. You can email me at leah at thehealthysensitive.com. And uh, other, you can also contact me directly through my website. And you'll find that at www.thehealthysensitive.com. And I think that's all I've got for you today. So I hope you have a fabulous week and I will talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.